But we're continuing, uh, it's our third part in our series on boundaries, and uh, two weeks ago we, we talked about what boundaries were and that they are a, a system designed to keep you from dangerous or off-limits areas. And we talked about that, uh, you think about on the, on the highway, we've got boundaries that keep us safe, especially in areas where we can have a lot of harm done. So bridges where two things are connecting. And medians, where you're moving in a direction that other people are moving in the opposite direction. And curves, where you can't see what's coming and you need to slow down. And last week, we talked about uh, close friends. And uh, if we're not careful, the shrapnel that can come from their lives if we don't choose wisely. And we've, we've kind of used from those two weeks, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, he says that we should be wise and not live thoughtlessly. And that wisdom is contagious. And last week we shared that, that if you walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, I don't believe anybody wants to do that. The, the hard part is you've got to plan not to. Sometimes we get pulled along, and, and sometimes it just happens. And, and I was thinking about this this week, and, and this week the, the title is, is Wi-Fi. I don't know if you, you maybe have Wi-Fi, but it's a little different Wi-Fi. This is spelled differently. Wi-Fi, W-I-F-I, stands for Wireless Fidelity. Okay? But in our age that we're in this morning, this is really the real question, because fidelity means loyalty. Loyalty means keeping yourself sexually pure for your, your spouse. And really, it's a question of why. Why would I do that? Why should anybody do that? And the Bible has a lot to say about this. So if those of you that came out on a great July morning, uh, this morning we're talking about relationships, talking about sex. Uh, not in graphic detail, but exactly what the Bible says that we should learn. And, and one of the problems that we face is uh, I know exactly how uh, airline uh, attendants feel that get on a flight, everybody's seated, everybody's talking, flipping through magazines, thinking about what they're going to order, and they have to say something over and over and over and over and over, and nobody's listening. But then when the plane experiences problems, everybody wishes that they had listened. <laughs> right? Nobody wants their seatbelts buckled until bad turbulence. Nobody cares where the exits are until there's smoke in the cabin. And, and if you've ever been someplace, maybe you've been on a, a, a guided tour or something like that, and it can be so annoying. I get it, and I know I can be so annoying. That's just, that's just part of my job. That maybe you've been on a, a, a tour or something. I, you know, I think about one of those uh, uh, swamp boat rides, and you're out there in the Everglades. It's supposed to be beautiful and all this stuff, and, and the, the guide gets on, and you get the earmuffs on, and you're going to travel, but they're just so annoying because they keep saying the same thing over, and you're like, hey, I know boats. I've been in a boat. In fact, I own a boat. You don't have to tell me about boats, but he keeps saying the same thing over and over for a reason. Keep your hands and feet in the boat. Keep your hands and feet in the boat. Hey, Keep your hands and feet in the boat. And you know, want to know why he says that? Because there's alligators in the water. Right? Keep your hands and feet in the boat. 
And again, this is, this is tough, and it sounds like a downer, and it sounds like it's very annoying, or, or even if you've been on a safari tour. <laughs> Don't get out of the vehicle. Don't get out of the vehicle. Whatever you do, don't get out of the vehicle. You know why? He doesn't want you eaten. But the problem is that people don't listen. And so it sounds like, man, how many times is he going to talk about this? And yet every year somebody puts their hands in the water. Every year somebody gets out of the vehicle. And in churches all across the land, every year people's lives are in tragedy because they just didn't listen. And so I'm here to tell you, please, 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 it's, it's not going to affect my life, but you need to establish some boundaries, especially in this area. That, that whole word of fidelity comes from a Latin word meaning fidelis. If, if you were uh, uh, around the Marines or you were a Marine, their big uh, slogan is semper fi, which means semper fidelis, always faithful. Now, not only is that our God, but that's what we're supposed to be signing up for when we enter into a lifelong covenant called marriage. But that is changing, unfortunately. But that's not what God had planned it to do. And so he knows the damage from this, and he understands that it means faithfulness. And it means faithfulness that's demonstrated by continuing loyalty and support. Think about that. Fidelity means continued loyalty and support to that person, to that spouse, to that family, what, whatever that, that loyalty area is supposed to mean. But also, according to Webster's Dictionary, it also explicitly means sexual faithfulness to our spouse. Now, this is going to sound very countercultural, and, and that is the issue. Everything around us is the opposite of this. And we're getting bombarded with this. Uh, we're hearing it more and more, we're seeing it more and more, and, and unfortunately those boundaries that used to exist have been pushed back or have fallen over because we live now in a sexually charged time where this is ruining relationships, this is ruining self-control, this is ruining marriages, this is ruining relationships, it's affecting our children at an earlier and earlier age, and if we don't do something about it, We've got no right to complain. We as the church should be speaking to this, and that's why this morning I'm telling you, keep your hands in the boat. (laughs) Keep yourself in the vehicle. And things will take care of it. So let's turn to the Bible, see what God has to say about this. It's pretty interesting what God says. And and you should read your Bible because it's good word for you. It'll help you. It'll, it'll change your life. It changed my life. It's changed so many other people's lives. But we're going to be in chapter 6, beginning with verse 18, 1 Corinthians. And he says something crazy. And Paul, again, he's, he's talking to a church in Corinth that he had been there. He'd established a church, and then he left. And he's writing because he's heard that some boundaries had been pressed again, that they were starting to act differently than how he had instructed them. And so, thank God that, that the Holy Spirit inspired him to speak on this so that we would have this today. But notice what it says. Verse 18 says, flirt with sexual immorality. Now, it doesn't say that, does it? At least not in my Bible. 
What does it say? Flee. Now, what does flee mean? It's not that little critter that jumps and bites you when you go to the beach or that inhabit your dog, right? This is the different kind of flee. Flee means run from, right? So notice what the first thing out of the gate is. What's he say? Run away from sexual immorality. Don't flirt with it. Don't see how close you can get. Don't experiment with it. Don't see what is possible. Flee from sexual immorality. Well, that's great, Pastor, but what is immoral? We're going to find out here in just a minute. Now, I believe you already know what immoral means. The word immoral means without morals. Actually, that would be amoral. But what it means is you no longer have morals. You don't practice morals. And the world is doing this. But he, unfortunately, Paul puts, God through Paul puts sexual sin in its very own category. It's not unforgivable. But unlike other sin, the damage and the consequences may last a lifetime. He says, every sin that a man or a woman does is outside the body. Okay? And and let me be clear. For the New Testament, compared to the Old Testament, the New Testament, most of what sinning was, was stealing, hurting others, or dishonoring others or God. Almost all the sins line up in one of those three categories. And so sexual sin is no different. You're stealing from somebody, you're dishonoring somebody in God, and you're hurting somebody else. Okay? And you would say, nope, they were willing. Even if they're willing, you're still hurting their future. You're still hurting something that you can't give back. He says, but whoever commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. You're not just hurting somebody else. You're hurting you. And you are God's. And God cares about you. This is why he says, you think maybe it's just about you, but it's not just about you. You may think, hey, it's just a casual pastime. It's not just a casual pastime. It has long-standing consequences. Even if you were both in agreement, even if it wasn't forced, even if you were of age, it can still have long-lasting consequences when you handle it in an immoral way. The scripture that was on the video is from Thessalonians, and it says, don't behave this way like the Gentiles do who don't know God. See, and and that's kind of the issue is, is if you don't believe in Jesus this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this isn't about you. I'm not even speaking to you this morning. I'm glad that you're here, but God doesn't put this standard on you. He's put this standard on those that claim to be Christians, those that are following Jesus Christ. Because those are the ones that are supposed to care about each other and care about God. And when we choose not to, when we say it doesn't matter if I dishonor God or it doesn't matter if I dishonor my brother or my sister, it does matter to God and it should matter to us. Now, that may sound kind of heavy, but let me just stop right here and say this. Everybody has sinned. And if this is the the hot spot for you, you can repent and you can be forgiven that fast. 
That's the good news. The hard news is that the consequences of your actions may last a lot longer than you want them to. And it may affect every other relationship you're ever going to be in. And it may affect you and your attitude about this specific thing for the rest of your life, either positively or negatively. And this is one of those few areas where, by the grace of God, we better have some boundaries. Because marriage in church is actually just the same as marriage outside the church at its divorce rate. Sexual immorality is rampant, even within the church. It's not getting slowing down. We're not seeing less sexually provocative stuff in the media and the news and our music. It's all over the place. And yet for way too long, the church just wanted to stay silent on this because it was uncomfortable. Well, how uncomfortable is it now with our children and our grandchildren growing up in a society that says there's no limits, there's no boundaries? And now the world trying to justify it. I just saw... uh, a report on Twitter from these brainiacs at the University of California, Los Angeles. And it blows my mind that their scientific study said that they see no harm in children watching porn or engaging in sex play. Now I'm thinking, you think of a parent that doesn't really know how to raise a child, that's had a weird environment themselves, and then scientists are giving them the go-ahead to let their children... Experience what they shouldn't experience just because some scientists say so. We better be very careful, church. And maybe if this is making you ants around a little bit, we don't even, we didn't even talk about this as a married couple. Maybe you should have. Maybe you need to be talking to your kids. Well, my kids are already grown. You should still be talking to them if they're not practicing this. Maybe you still need to talk to them. Here's what I believe. I believe that sex is a wonderful gift, but it comes with guidelines and instructions. It is supposed to be exclusive to that person that you're going to be in a lifelong relationship with, and it's supposed to be within the context of marriage so that you don't hurt each other or you don't hurt somebody else. And again, rightly so, because it is so powerful, because it's separate from all the other sins, just a a different category, then we have to understand that God wouldn't give us something so wonderful and just say, misuse it. You wouldn't hand a six-year-old a powerful handgun and assume he just knows how to use it and let him play with it. But unfortunately, it seems to be that's what happens when it comes to sex and sexual relationships. Also, sexual sin, for whatever reason, because of of the context of it, has, has permanent consequences. And it really is hurting, dishonoring, or stealing from somebody else on both sides, because again, it's something you can't get back. It's something you can't unexperience. And it's something that, whether we like it or not, it's not just an act It's emotional and spiritual and a matter of the heart. And it's no wonder that as a new generation grows up, that they they seem to not have the same feeling and the same sense of, of conscience as everybody else. And for many of them, they've experienced, either seen or experienced uh, sexual situations way too early, and it's begun to affect their heart and begun to affect their mind. And now it is not uncommon 
for kids that have had a, an intimate relationship, but they don't even know the other person's last name. And that's the first date. So am I against sex? Not at all. It is, it's a wonderful gift. But it has to stay within the context of what God says, or it can be extremely harmful. And so we have to move past an old school thought process. I don't talk to my kids about it because I don't even want to think about it. Somebody else is talking to them. They're seeing it. They're hearing it. They're watching it. They're reading it. Somebody's talking to them. Same with your grandkids if you're that age. And so somebody has to be the voice of fidelity for your family, for your kids, for your marriage. And it needs to be those that follow Christ that have an example of what great sexual relationships, which is not immorality, should be like. And again, if you're that person, then guess what? Your forgiveness is given by the great grace of God, but you have to make a choice to set boundaries because it can be a lure that grabs at you again and again and again, whether you're male or female. Why is it to be avoided? Not sex, but the sexual immorality. Notice he didn't say stay away from sex. See, the old school was that it's something hidden and dirty and, and, and it never made sense to me, you know. <laughs> you know, sex is something we shouldn't even think about. It's kind of uh, dirty and nasty. It should be reserved for your spouse. Um, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think that's what God says. <laughs> But the immorality part, so let's, let's just cut to the quick here. What is immorality? Outside of marriage and before marriage. Isn't that amazing? Only two spaces in our life. There's not half a dozen, there's just two. Sex outside of marriage. If you're married, the person you should be having sex with is the person you're married to. And only the person you're married to. And if you're not in a covenant relationship of marriage, then you wait. That's the joy of marriage. You wait to have that great relationship with your spouse so that there's not comparison, so there's not this weirdness, so there's not this damage, so there's not this, this mindset that clouds the agenda. It's supposed to be wonderful. It's supposed to be great. It's supposed to be for a lifetime with that person because he wants our relationships to be great, not full of guilt and shame and regret. You see, this is also one of those areas that is so tough on us because you can move on from it and, and thank God for that. But in many cases, it makes us liars and secret keepers for the rest of our lives. Because most of the time, even as a Christian, if you had a rough life, you could say, hey, you know, I, I stole some stuff or I used to smoke or drink or do drugs or whatever you... But in this area, this is the place where you don't say, you know, honey, I just wanted to let you know I've had 52 partners before you. And we become liars and secret keepers. And we should ask ourselves why. And it's because the enemy wants to keep that secret in us to use it as leverage against us to keep us from a great relationship in intimacy with God and in intimacy with other people. 
Because that is the power of relationship. When we lack intimacy with God, all we get is religion. And we're just following the rules. And that's not relationship. And when we lack intimacy with people, it's just going through the motions. You can be a roommate with somebody, but it doesn't mean that you're intimate. And my heart breaks for those couples that there's been damage in this area, either spoken of or unspoken of, and there's no intimacy. There's a sex act, but there's no intimacy. There can't be a full sharing anymore because their heart was given away a long time ago. But today, if you can set boundaries, you can stop the lies and the secrets and put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I believe that He can make you spiritually pure again, even if He can't make you physically pure again. Let's talk about some boundaries here real quick. Verse 19, as he goes on, he said, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own. You don't get to treat your body however you want to treat your body. It's not your body anymore. It's His body. And I think we sometimes forget this, that, uh, you know, God won back my salvation. He's taking care of my future, but I can kind of live how I want, and that's improper, church, in so many different areas. But Paul makes this move from these consequences of, of what it's going to affect to now it's about identity. Have you forgotten who you are? Even more so, have you forgotten whose you are? Because when we act this way, like he said, we're acting like Gentiles, those that don't know God. And I don't want anybody to feel condemned this morning. I'm saying everybody sinned, right? <laughs> Every last one of us. But I want you to hear your tour guide saying, keep your hands in the boat. Stay in the vehicle. Because it's not easy to talk about, and it does. It's not something that's easily confessed. It's not something that's easily overcome. And yet, yes, it can be forgiven, and yes, you can move on. But I want you to be able to set some boundaries so it doesn't become an issue in the future as well. Whose are you? You see, he, he wants you to have this relationship with a person who is the lifetime covenant with you. Now, there's people here this morning, you've been through divorce. I get that. It's forgivable as well. It's not the ultimate sin. But it's also changed you. And you can move on. But some of that damage is going to follow you if you're not careful and you set up some boundaries as you move into another relationship. You can't just keep doing what you've been doing thinking it's going to be great. And, and that's what I find is so amazing about human beings is somebody's been in their third, fourth, fifth marriage and they're like, I don't know why I can't find the right woman. Well, the lowest common denominator is you. <laughs> but no, like I said, it's not about poking anybody in the eye. It's about danger here. And sometimes dangerous measures require extreme treatment. That's why this morning, uh, I want to leave nothing off the table, help you understand that this is becoming an incredible problem. 
inside the church and definitely outside the church. And please don't give in to the scientists. Again, I love science. But these are men that unless they're Christian scientists, I just need to hear this. You are a child of God. You are not some mammal that just breeds because you have urges. God has given us a wonderful gift of relationship, something that we should enjoy with each other. And when we treat it as if we can't control it, and we treat it as if it doesn't matter, we're laughing and dishonoring the gift of God that He's placed in our lives. You are handcrafted by God for good work. And this should be something that should be great and wonderful for you to experience. But if we don't set boundaries, it becomes something that can be a painful, regretful reminder of where we've been and what we've done. Now, the great news about this passage is this. If you remember what he said, don't you know that the, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, here's what I believe. I believe we have to stop fooling ourselves because the value of a container is not about the container. The value of the container is determined by what it contains. Did you get that? The value of the container is determined by what it contains. If somebody came up to you and said, give me your wallet, you can keep everything in it, but give me your wallet, you'd be like, no problem. Right? But it's what's in the wallet that makes the wallet valuable, doesn't it? If you're one of those people that collects change and you've got a glass jug, one of those old water or plastic glass jugs full of quarters and nickels, you don't care about the container. It's what's on the inside that gives the value to the container. Also, you're not your own. And you should be glad about that. We have an owner who is God because ownership also determines our value. Now, Sharon, this is Pastor Tim. Uh, you can go and buy a Stratocaster guitar for about $1,800, electric guitar. But not that long ago, Eric Clapton, an incredible legend in the, in the music industry, sold one that he had signed, that he had played, for $45,000. What's the difference? Ownership. Who owns us? God. And if God owns us, how valuable are we? We have the Holy Spirit in us, and God owns us. We are valuable people. Why would we treat each other like we're not? We shouldn't be treating each other like the empty wallet. We shouldn't be treating each other like the empty coin container. We are treating each other like we are children of God, full of the Holy Spirit. And then we can honor each other and have great relationships in and out of marriage. But maybe you've forgotten that this morning, and that's the most important piece for you. You've forgotten how valuable you are. You were bought with a high price. You were paid with by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he has filled you with his Holy Spirit. That's awesome. But it also bears some responsibility on our part. Move on to verse 20. He reminds us, after he's questioning, do you not remember who you are? Do you remember not whose you are? Look what he says. You were bought at a price. I just shared that. And then he gives us the instructions. Look at that. 
if you believe you're God's child, if you believe you're full of the Holy Spirit, if you believe that Jesus Christ bought you with his blood, therefore, or because of this, he's giving us the way that we're supposed to act so that we're not left, okay, what do I do with this? He's like, I'm going to tell you what to do with this. Here it is. Glorify God in your body. Okay? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, what's hard is that that's a pretty wide open thing. Well, what's it mean to glorify God with my body? I think you know what it means. I'm speaking to smart people this morning, <laughs> right? I don't care what Dieter says. I, I, think, I think you're okay. I think your energy level may be low, but your ears are still open. And yes, this is a hard topic, I know. But I also challenge you, those of you that you're saying, hey, we've been married 20, 30, 40 years. Look at the trend around you. People that have been married 40 years are still getting divorced, still having affairs, still doing stuff that is hurting their marital relationships. And so there's no age limit for sin. What if we treated our bodies and other bodies like God was the owner? That should change how we treat things, right? I mean, I don't know what type of deposit God would demand from a piece of equipment that you'd rent from him. (laughs) But I'm not sure I'd want to pay that price. But what's interesting is how thoughtless most people are on this. And, And when questioned, they just say, you know, babe... It just happened. Liar. It didn't just happen. (laughs) It's been a progress. And the act just happened, but that lure that had started you on that path, that happened probably months ago. When you stepped outside your boundaries, when you put something on the table that wasn't supposed to be on the table, when you decided that person that should have been out of bounds is now in bounds, that's when it started to happen. So don't fool yourself with this. And don't think that just because you're at an age that it doesn't affect you anymore, it can affect you. We have to keep very clear boundaries, and we keep them in place, and we treat each other as if We're children of God because here's the reality. As I said, our culture is bombarding us. And this is one of those areas where it makes me sound old, but I'm just telling you, there was a time that the church never even talked about this, and and some of it to its detriment, but there was boundaries about what we watch and what we listen to and what we read. But those boundaries have been pushed away or demolished, and now it's kind of like, hey, we can do what we want. We've got God on our side. And I'm telling you, as it bombards us, it's like we don't even hear it anymore. We don't even see it anymore because it's everywhere. And the television industry knows this. They even have the slogan. They say, sex sells. That's why they have all those people. I mean, think about it. They've got all, especially this time of year, they've got all those wonderful, skinny, muscled people in their bathing suits selling Corona on the beach, making it look like it's so wonderful. They don't show them heaving their guts up in the toilet the next weekend. They don't show that part. 
They make it look like this makes you vibrant and alive and having a full life. Yeah, what about the DUI? What about the collision with a tree? What about the life that you took? We don't show that part. The same with sex. We don't show the aftermath of it. We just glorify sex outside of marriage or sex before marriage as just, that's our standard. That's what we do. From everything from our music, even to, don't listen, my love, even to Hallmark movies. Because, like, that's the standard of whether they're truly a fit to be a couple. Well, there's got to be some chemistry. Well, if that's the case, what chemistry did they have with the person before you? Did you ask that question? And the person before that, and the person before that. But the reality is, church, who in our culture is the voice of fidelity for this generation? I don't hear anybody. In fact, I hear the opposite. Even in legislation, nobody's saying we need to tone it down. Nobody's saying we need to back it up a little bit. Nobody's saying, hey, let's create some healthy boundaries. Now let's just give them pills. Let's just give them pharmacy. Let's just give them options because we know they're going to do it, but let's try to make them safe. And it's not slowing anything down and they're not getting any safer. They're just growing up faster and having regrets that a 25 shouldn't even, a 25-year-old shouldn't have. But if the church isn't telling them, if you're not telling them as a parent and grandparent, who's going to tell them? We should be telling them what the Bible says because it will help supply a boundary. And no, it may not work, but at least they knew there was a boundary there. And we talked about this last week. That's why electric fences are there. They don't want to hurt the cattle. (laughs) It's there for them to get a zap and to back up. That's what God's Word should supply. It should light up our conscience that when we step into this, begin to step into the danger zone, we get the zap of the Holy Spirit and we know to back up way before we're in the danger zone, way before we've gone over the line, way before we've been intimate with somebody. There's been a zap someplace and either we didn't feel it anymore or we just didn't care. And I've I've seen it come to fruition. One of my mentors, a a wonderful man of God named Barney Bernard, I didn't even fully get it at the time, but it sounded great. But he said, what walks in fathers runs in children. In the 70s, we had a sexual revolution in America. And our fathers experienced that. Where are children now, they're full bore running with that. And, and let me just back up. I'm not downing any of our teens. I'm talking about a culture. It's regardless of any age. We've got wonderful teens. There's a lot of teens that are practicing exactly what the Bible says. There's a lot of people that are practicing exactly what the Bible says. But I'm just telling you, that's no reason to let down your boundaries or to not help establish boundaries for our kids because the world doesn't have a boundary for them. And they're there a lot more than they're here. And God's Word should be there. It's just placed, just like a guardrail, just like the boundaries. They're not placed in the danger zone. It's there before you get to the danger zone. 
it sometimes makes me wonder that we take better care of our cars, which are finite and not immortal, than we do our relationships. Could we really get bent out of shape if our sons or daughters bring back our SUV or our new car with a dent in it or paint scraped off? But are we as concerned about their morality and who they're spending time with and what they're doing when they're away from us? Or are we just, well, they got to experience it sometime. I'm telling you, I don't want that for my kids or my grandkids. Once they get old in age, they can choose for themselves. But I'll tell you what, I don't want them to experience what they don't need to experience early and have shame and regret and pain. And that's the other side that the world doesn't tell you. You never see the person that's just gone from partner to partner to partner to partner. They don't seem like they have a well-put-together life. They don't seem like they have lots of close relationships. And pretty soon, all that stuff is just motionless, mindless, and it doesn't satisfy. It's just become an act. And they're lonely, regretful people that wish they had somebody they could settle down with, somebody that they had given themselves to. They're never saying, man, if I just had a hundred more. These boundaries are there for a reason. Not only the consequences, but it's showing how we glorify God. And, and that's what's so funny is I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that everything about God is a spiritual. He's like, you've got to worry about your body. <laughs> how do we serve God? With our body. How do we witness to God? With our body. How do we experience God? In our body. Yes, in our spirit. But this is the thing that carries everything around. And this is what the world sees. This is what the world interacts with. And if we don't turn the tide, we look just like them. We act just like them. In some cases, just like with Paul, he goes on in, in another one of his letters and he says, I'm hearing, in, 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 especially in this area, I'm hearing you're doing things as church people that even the Gentiles don't do. Think about that for just a minute. Not because he's wanting to beat them, It's like, guys, you're hurting yourself. You're dishonoring God. You're not showing any changed life. And this is going to lead to a nowhere path. And before you know it, you'll be back where you were before you got saved. If you're not careful with this. If you've got some time the rest of the week, it's funny how Paul has such a unique writing style. He deals with this issue and talks about it, how we're supposed to glorify God and flee from sexual morality. And then he flows right into chapter 7, which is about marriage. Here's the cure. <laughs> you want to know how to flee from this? Find a really great spouse and stay with them forever. Man, that's just too narrow-minded. Well, I don't think it is. Because I heard a conversation. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I go to Walmart pretty much a lot. 
I am an official wall Martian. <laughs> and it's amazing the conversations that you hear. And standing in line, uh, which I don't like to do, I prefer the self-checkout. But sometimes even that's long. And here are two people talking about buying an anniversary card for somebody, and they're like, man, that is awesome. Uh, 20 years. And, and <laughs> I'm thinking... She's an older person. They must have got married late. And, and, and the person said, and to the same person. That's amazing. You were married 20 years. And to the same person? How do you do that? Should that not wake us up, church? So here's some guidelines for you. Hopefully you can take these home. You can get it online or whatever you want. But... This is, what, this is what breaks the regret, sin, shame cycle that happens. So here we go. Here's some moral guidelines. You need to talk about it. Now, talk about it with the person you're with, <laughs> your spouse, okay? This is not something you want to talk to just anybody about. Please don't talk about this in line at Walmart. This is not where you talk about this. But you need to talk with your spouse, the person that you're planning on marrying. You need to talk about what your expectations are. You need to talk about, you know, what are our boundaries going to be? So when I'm not with you and I'm at work, what are my boundaries? This is, we've got to set up safe boundaries. What are we going to teach our kids? We've got to set up safe boundaries. How are we going to treat this thing? We've got, we got to set up some boundaries in our relationships for when we're working, when we're playing, when we're... What are our boundaries in this? Because if not, stuff happens. Secondly, tell them about it. When stuff is starting to happen, when those little lures are starting to attract before anything physical happens, that's, you know, again, it's tough. But remember what I said, if we're not careful, this will make us secret keepers and liars. It's tough to go home to your wife and say, honey, that, that front desk receptionist is flirting with me. But believe me, You'd rather her wrap herself around your head and get upset now. When she finds out this has been going on all this time and nobody said anything. And I believe it won't go on because I believe that when we bring it into the light and Satan doesn't have this dark cloak of secrecy anymore, that it begins to resolve itself. Because I don't want to have to keep coming back every week and tell my wife this. And I'm going to figure out how to do this. And whether that means i got to figure out either a different place to work or a different way to come in. Or i got to avoid that person or that person. My relationship is too important to play with the lures. Because those of you that fish, you know this. You know what's at the end of the lure. A hook. It goes for you ladies as well. That guy that always seems interested in you. That guy that's there to hear your stories about how horrible and lazy your husband is. He's probably not that concerned with that aspect of your life. And it doesn't mean we can't have female and male friends, but they better stay firmly in the friend boundary. 
That means we don't share what's happening with our spouse to them. Right? That's just bad policy right there. Why would you dishonor your, your husband or your wife? And why would you play with that lure? Like I said, there's only thing, one thing at the end of that lure. And that includes online. So, social media is the gateway drug for immorality. You know how many people are doing this stuff, and they're not even in physical contact, but they're burying their soul with somebody they've never even met online and creating a bond. We better have boundaries. 